as we all know, uh, Promair was placed in persons rescue, I think, almost two years ago now, uh, in 2020 May. The reason Comair was a candidate for persons rescue was because it was in financial distress. So that meant that it could not pay its, its liabilities within the ensuing six months. So it was a perfect candidate, certainly, for persons rescue. But what happened was, pursuant to that persons rescue, obviously the, the, the persons rescue practitioners have been on an ongoing effort to rehabilitate the company, but unfortunately they couldn't raise the necessary funds. And as soon as the persons rescue practitioners then could not raise those funds. They have a statutory duty to then apply to court to put the company in, in, in provisional liquidation. So that, that's the process that has ensued so far. Mm-hmm. So what happens now to the employees, the customers, or any other stakeholder who were owned monies by the company going through liquidation? That, that is a very important uh, question, Elvis. So um, in any liquidation, there's a, a payment cash uh, waterfall. So, for example... The lenders, most of them would be secure creditors. They will run first. There will be um, uh, creditors who you can call preference creditors. SARS, for example, employees would fall into that category. They are preference creditors, so they get a second bite of the cherry. And then the last uh, uh, sort of creditors, group of creditors, would be your concurrent creditors. Those are unsecured creditors. So your typical uh, ticket holder would, would typically not be secured. So they would sort of be fed in that list, in that mm-hmm. ranking. What happened to customers, though, in the commerce situation? Because uh, they probably would need a refund. But when will they receive that refund after the entire process is complete? Yes, unfortunately, Elvis, that, that's a, a bit of uh, bad news. I mean, I've seen uh, some, some, some reports that some, some banks have sort of come up with a scheme to, to, to repay their customers or their, their customers. But certainly those, those customers that are not covered by those schemes that, for example, uh, the banks have, have in place. If you're not covered, you unfortunately will be a concurrent creditor, and mitigation can be quite a long process. I mean, at the minimum, as you're looking at two, three years, possibly four years, in light of, of, of the entity that we're dealing with, it's quite a big entity. So those customers will unfortunately have to wait three, four years maybe, and even then, remember, you're a concurrent creditor, so there is no guarantee that you'll get your full repayment. You know, in some instances of liquidation, people getting 10 cents in a rent, 20 cents in a rent. But what about those customers that might feel they were duped because just before the liquidation process, uh, there was a sale of tickets from Comair? No, most certainly. Um, uh, uh, those customers certainly will, will have uh, recourse to the court if they do think uh, they've been duped. Certainly they do have that recourse to go to the court. Uh, and, and it's not, it, won't, it won't be uncommon for, for liquidation to then generate that sort of litigation. So that is certainly something that, that we've, seen, we've seen before and we can expect in, in this instance. Mm-hmm. Now, Comair operated domestic flights in South Africa and the region under the British Airways brand. Now, BA is a separate company from Comair. So what is likely to happen to that agreement and how does the liquidation affect British Airways? So um, at, at, at the granting of the provisional order, um, all, all the agreements uh, that, that uh, Comair was a party to those agreements then, uh, you know, take an example, an employment contract, those would be terminated by, 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 by operation of law. The other contracts, the trustees in this instance would be the provisional liquidators, the final liquidators once they are appointed. They then have an election whether to terminate or the monarch. In this instance, presumably they will terminate them because Comair would now finally be wound up. So in so far as the impact on, on the mother 
own per se, the mother company, I don't see that much of an impact. Have let's say a sort of reputational damage. Mm-hmm. Now the unions uh, were complaining and uh, pointing the finger at the business rescue practitioner in this uh, process. So what can we now learn about business rescue through the Comia case study? Look, I think I think there's a couple of, of lessons here that, that we can take. But perhaps the most important one is, you know, any business rescue process cannot succeed without the necessary funding. I think uh, in the context of this instance, we can call it PCF, post-commencement finance. Without the necessary post-commencement finance, it becomes very, very difficult for any business or practitioner to rehabilitate the business. So that's something that I think is probably the biggest takeaway from, from this lesson. Mm. And is there perhaps a need for more business rescue practitioners, competent business rescue practitioners in the country? No, no, most certainly, Elvis. Uh, that, that's another important thing that you raised. But however, we need to, to put this thing in context. You know that, the listeners will know that business rescue has only been around for, let's say, 10 years or so, because the, the act came into effect in 2011. So certainly there's a lot of competent business practitioners out there, but certainly we could do more. We could certainly do more in terms of skilling our business rescue practitioners. But it's still a young profession, uh, only 10 years or so.